I, I mean, I'm excited to speak to you, Josh, uh, because we have been talking about silver on this channel. Um, just this was the way the schedules worked. Speak to both you and David Morgan from the Morgan Report, um, and it just happened to coincide. Some, you know, <laughs> projected shortage of deliveries with the LBMA, and I was looking into, you know, what was happening there, and I had Nick to say, "Hey, you know, what are your thoughts?" And that's where he introduced me to you, um, and said, "You know, have a conversation." So I'm so glad you could join us uh, today. Well, I'm glad to be here, Jennifer, uh, and thank you very much for, for for having me on your on your podcast. Um, I know that David Morgan is a hard act to follow, um, and so I know he's got lots of very useful insights and data. So I'll do my very best to live up to what he provided to you last week. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, he did. He was very uh, very informative and. I appreciate it. So I, I love the way he, you know, speaks so frankly and won't try to gloss things up for fear mongering. You know, you know, I just like his genuine, you know, interest and passion in the subject. And you know, we talked a lot last time about the shortage of silver, the myth, you know, how shortage run, or silver runs a society. Um, we talked about what I like about and appreciate with David Morgan is that he understands kind of the importance of a blockchain interoperable system uh, matched with the component and this is where you know it's hard for me to talk to everybody people wave the flag for one or the other and I you know I am fiercely you know I'm very bullish into metals but then also equally you know into a certain digital what I, I that was kind of where you know, and then David makes this great report um, point that Wall Street throws its weight behind it. You know, you know, there's something to follow here, and so we are seeing this kind of theatrical draw, this Ripple SEC case, and yeah. you know, these kind of bills come formation around this. So there's definitely something coming here. Um, but then, having said that. We appreciate history and we know how to look back on how, you know, when every currency collapse happens, there's always a component of metals brought back in. And, you know, there's various people with um, opinions on whether silver will have a part of that financial system or if silver will stay as the you know, hottest commodity that's used across the industries, et cetera, for various utilities. So uh, that's, you know, if, I, if you have any thoughts on that, we can, we can there if you want. Sure. Well, I look, the, the way that I see it, and we take a very holistic view of the markets and of the world, and I guess the way that we see it is that silver is a solution to something. It's a solution to a problem. And I think it would be remiss of us not to kind of have a look, a brief look at the problem and the threats that are giving rise to assets like gold and silver um, as a solution, because we can think of plenty of reasons why people would want to purchase gold and silver, but you can't really look at these things in isolation. You have to look at them against the backdrop of threat, against the backdrop of fear, risks. You know, what are we trying to solve here? So I think that, that you know, because we work very closely with with accountants and lawyers and bankers and people from various parts of government, 
we get to we get to offer a consultative approach to why people to 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 to, to why people do what they what they do. We get to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and the one big question that our clients are asking at the moment is, what in the world do we do with our money? You know, and it's it's a good question because the only certainty in today's world is is uncertainty. Sure. And I think if we have to identify the biggest threat, you know, we've got an embarrassment of riches. You know, take your pick from the trust administration to the the Ukraine invasion, China's ongoing COVID lockdowns, to the Nord Stream pipe, pipeline sabotage. We have black swans abound. And black swans or, or tail events occur with increasing frequency. And they are symptomatic of an increasingly interlinked and independent world. And the, these black swan events, these unknown unknowns, you know, they can't be predicted, um, but they can be um, anticipated. Um, and, and whilst we're not operating with perfect information, um, we've identified that the main challenge ahead is uncertainty um, of the highest order. And so today's question, and I think the question that we hear a lot of from a lot of our clients, regardless of their proficiency within the financial markets, is what in the world do we do with our money, right? And, and this has stemmed from a very recent black swan event, you know, in response, Jennifer, to the, the COVID pandemic, world central banks repressed interest rates and printed trillions in new currency. Um, in the UK, we had a combination of furloughs, um, bounce back loans and, and the like. And against the backdrop of historical low costs of borrowing, this resulted in, you know, very, very high inflation. You know, the obvious result of more money meeting a constrained supply of goods is we refer to inflation if we're talking about food and fuel. If we're talking about assets, we usually refer to that as a bull market or, or a bubble. Now, I think that the biggest risk for the individual investor at the moment is malinvestment. And when I say malinvestment, what I refer to that as adding downside risk that isn't proportionate to possible upside gains. And what we're seeing prudent investors do is search for smart risks optimized for return on investment. Now, when we look at the state of global finance, the risks are plain. You know, we look at equities, for example. You know, whenever we see the S&P 500, its price to earnings ratio hit 27 or higher, we see a 50% fall in prices without exception. And it's, it's happened around three times in history, the Great Depression, 2008, and it's, it's happened today, you know, as in over the last year or so. The FTSE and global equity markets tend to trend along with US equities. The S&P 500 since December is around 20% down, which means that based on history, we're looking at possibly another 30% decline. And developed markets around the world, for the most part, they're overvalued. With, of course, you know, the possible exception of Germany, where, you know, we've got citizens facing a winter without heat um, and whole industries are idled because they just can't afford to pay for electricity bills. Just to give you an idea, of course, why 
equities are less expensive, equity markets globally are still struggling with a conceptual shift away from near zero interest rates. So for example, you know, profitless high, high growth tech companies, they can't really borrow endlessly to fund their runway, which right now has become an incineration of shareholder value. It would be really easy, you know, a year and a half ago for, for these firms to kind of borrow one or two million pounds worth of money for them to give these tech companies three months worth of runway, but it's become, it's become too expensive for them to do that. You know, we look at sovereign bonds, you know, this offers a queasy combination of counterparty and foreign exchange risk. Um, property is a really big area for a lot of our clients. It's a really, really popular asset class. At the moment, I would say that it's poised for a tectonic shock as high interest rates bite into prices. Um, and I, I see a lot of opportunity in all of these markets. Um, the question is timing. You know, when will we see that opportunity? When will we know it's an opportunity? Because obviously everything is relatives. Everything is relative, excuse me. And investors today seem to face a stark choice of, is it better to pile into overvalued markets and risk a sudden plunge in value? Or is it better to play it safe with bonds and cash where they trade the possibility of a sudden catastrophic drop for the absolute certainty of lost purchasing power essentially you know do we lose quickly do we lose slowly and and prudent investors can well they, they don't have to accept this sophie's choice between losing quickly or, or slowly because the ultimate decision is is doing nothing you can do nothing. I think the, the, the whole issue with inflation is that it's putting undue pressure on people to make decisions um, regardless as, we, as to whether or not they are good or bad. And I think it, it's, it's prudent to point out that it's usually, you hear these stories from parents and grandparents and from elder generations that it's times like these that we often see the wealthy get wealthier and the poor stay poor. Lower net worth investors tend to buy and hold, even at these prices, desperate for gains. They believe it's crucial to do something, you know, even if it's the wrong thing. However, the smart money is, is patient, knowing that bad decisions are expensive. Smart money simply waits out the bubble and buys in again when valuations are compelling. And I would say a lot of our clients would say, you know, they're good, they will take smart risks, but if there are none to be found, they will do nothing. Now, there are two ways of doing nothing. Wait passively or to wait proactively. Now, passive waiting means keeping your assets liquid, cash accounts, money market funds, guaranteeing lost purchasing power. If you feel comfortable enough to risk it to counterparty risk of those institutions. Active waiting means choosing an equally liquid asset that's not guaranteed to lose. And physical gold and silver serves these needs well. Now, gold and silver puts your purchasing power in status, in stasis, safe from counterparty risk, um, safe from inflation. Diversifying with physical silver or physical gold 
in the words of Dominic Frisby, who we know very well, is, is portfolio insurance. This is a solution to the problems that I've just highlighted. So physical silver, physical gold, it's a holding pattern. It preserves wealth. It patiently waits out the periods when risk outweighs rewards. And it return, it, it allows us to return to the markets when, when valuations are compelling again. And you know, a lot of our a lot of our customers, a lot of our clients are happy when their their gold holdings drop in value. That might sound controversial to say. Um, they're happy because it usually means that the rest of their assets are going up in in value. With silver, it's slightly different because the drop in value or the increase in value is amplified. And when everything else falls apart, gold really shines and silver takes an amplified response to gold's ascent. After all, it's been the money of last resort throughout human history. There's, there's an old saying on, on, on Wall Street, um, put 10% of your assets into gold and hope it doesn't go up. And I believe there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, diversifying your investment with gold or silver for the long run, or just as a holding pattern. You know, this creates a heads you win, a tells you don't lose dynamic. Um, in my mind, that's the smartest risk um, you can you can take. And I think, you know, once we've accepted that, you know, gold and silver is a solution to proactively waiting for other for other opportunities that might present themselves in a year or, or two years or three years, then I think it's about kind of assessing silver in relation to gold. You know, is it worth is it worth taking a diversified portfolio of gold and silver? Is it worth waiting uh, in favor of silver as opposed to gold? Well, I think historically only two precious metals have been regularly used as, as money, gold and silver. You know, silver is more common than gold. It's always been less valued as money even though silver didn't tarnish before the industrial age as there was there was much uh, less sulfur in the atmosphere but consequentially silver is sometimes derided as the poor man's gold um however it's an extremely interesting and useful metal it has the highest electrical conductivity of all metals in fact silver defines conduct conductivity all other metals are measured against it Silver has the second highest thermal conductivity of known materials, second only to diamond. Um, it has the highest re reflectivity of all metals. For centuries, silver was the only material suitable for, for mirrors. Um, it, it, it has a low chemical reactivity, and that's why flat, flatware is traditionally made of sil uh, silver. Few unanticipated chemical reactions between the food and your spoon means fewer unpleasant surprises. Now, like gold, silver is both malleable, it's ductile, easy to shape, draw into wires. We also know that silver has the unique property of being able to penetrate bacterial cell walls and prevent bacteria from reproducing without harming animal cells. So really, really good for research. Obviously, such an array of useful properties has led to a diverse array of applications. Now, nearly every single computer from appliances to smartphones contains silver um, electrical contacts. 
Um, a solar panel includes about 20 grams or two thirds of a troy ounce of silver, consuming some 8% of the world's supply annually. That's huge. And it's an increasing amount given the way the world is heading in support of our green endeavors. Um, silver is, is also used in photography, um, for industrial chemical production, in medicine and for water purification. And I would say compared to gold, silver enjoys a much broader range of industrial usage, uh, usages um, with significant invested demand as well. The, the combination makes silver a curious investment. Now, generally, and this is the way that a lot of our, our hedge fund um, clients look at investments, um, investments fall into either pro-cyclical or counter-cyclical categories. Now, pro-cyclical uh, defies um, an outperformance in times of growth. So crude oil, copper, equities, especially growth and emerging market equities. Counter-cyclical, you've got safe haven assets that endure or rise when everything else falls. For example, gold. Silver, interestingly, has characteristics of both pro and counter-cyclical investments. During boom times, industrial demand drives silver price. During crisis, investment demand supports the silver price. Now, because silver is used so much in jewelry, there's a reliable source of demand regardless of prevailing economic conditions. So silver supply is, is also quite different from, from gold. Half of the silver ore that's mined is a byproduct of mining other metals, lead, zinc, um, and copper. So this means that miners are they're less incentivized by rising silver prices to increase production. So if silver prices go up, but you're running a mine that produces 80% zinc and only 20% silver, you're not necessarily incentivized to ramp up predict, um, production. So essentially, silver supply is less elastic than metals like gold, usually mined by themselves. Now, one area, and I think you touched upon this before, Jennifer, is, is, you know, market manipulation. And yes, of course, we all know the, glo the global silver market is much less liquid than the gold market. And, and this makes sense because when you consider it, compared to gold, silver is much, you know, it's bulkier, it's heavier, it's expensive to transport and store. The side effect of a less liquid market is that it's easier to manipulate. Most know that the price of silver that's prominently featured in financial media is the price discovered on futures exchanges like COMEX. And with anything else, this price is often dependent upon supply um, and demand. In this case, the supply and demand of the futures contracts themselves. Um, we all know that you know JP Morgan traders have been convicted multiple times of spoofing or manipulating precious metals markets. I think it was in 2021 or 2020, um, they pled guilty and paid $920 million fine for spoofing precious metals prices um, from 2009 to 2015. Um, we saw the same thing happen this year. Um, so we know it happens. Um, a divergence or a widening gap between the futures price and the physical price indicates strong preference and demand for physical silver. 
What we found particularly interesting, and we, we're very well connected with various institutions that have contact with the LBMA, and what we've, what we've seen is a, um, a considerable fall in the amount of silver held in, um, in their vaults. The LBMA say themselves, this is the lowest amount of silver held in the vault since reporting started in July 2016. Um, Ronan Manley calls this an unprecedented situation emerging in London, where the relentless hemorrhaging of one of the world's largest stockpiles of silver is now well and truly underway. And to give this some context, during one month, it was September, um, the LBMA London vaults lost more silver, 45 million troy ounces, than is in the entire Comet's registered category, um, which is around 40 million troy ounces. Now, if this trend continues, London's vaults will be empty by the summer of 2023. In the US, <clears throat> the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, COMEX, physical inventories are reported at shocking levels, down nearly 70% over the past 18 months. I wouldn't say that silver supply is yet at crisis stage. You know, metal can be mined, it can be refined um, and shipped in large enough quantities to forestall any immediate crisis. But I guess the question is, what about the months and years to come? And if we wait as long as the months and years to come to find out, at that point, it may well be too late. Now, there's currently a globally recognized shortage of many other industrial metals, such as copper and nickel. The drain of global stockpiles, we believe, is certainly going to continue into 2023. Um, which probably brings us on to the silver price. You know, shouldn't we see it much higher than it is based on the relative shortage of silver within the market? And I think, you know, it's important to remember that the price is is set by supply and demand of both physical and paper metal. Sometimes physical and paper prices diverge and the divergence is a sign of strained supply. Remember the LBMA COMEX gold crisis of 2020, gold prices on COMEX diverged nearly $100 higher than gold prices in London. Um, the LBMA and the CME the, the, the COMEX parent company rushed out various press releases and statements claiming healthy gold stocks in New York and London, while at the same time scrambling to send shipments of gold bars from London to New York. And of course, we had the, the silver squeeze that started back in early 2021. Um, the massive increase in demand for physical silver has supported silver's price and, and crimped its demand. And Interestingly, what we saw, Jennifer, was the silver squeeze is the same sort of populist investing movement that famously sent GameStop, uh, sorry, GameStop stock soaring to just over 1,600% in just a few months. It ruined hedge funds and it, it rattled Wall Street. And I think one, one big reason for the reduction in vaulted silver is that Retail investors are demanding 
physical metal. They want bars. They want coins. They don't want pieces of paper. They don't want IOUs. They don't want promises to pay. Now, these forces could easily be enough to return silver's price to its historic levels compared to gold. Historically, the ratio, and I'm sure you heard this from, from, Dave, from uh, David Morgan, historically, the ratio was around 10 to 15 ounces of silver per ounce of gold. Today, roughly speaking, we're sitting around 80 to 1. Gold's are in sterling terms 1,471 and silver at 18 pounds 79. Um, if we take the lower historical average of 15 to 1, reversion to the mean would bring silver's price to 90, 98 pounds per ounce. Now, silver is like gold's volatile cousin. It amplifies both the ups and the downs offering more frequent opportunities for short-term profits. Similarly, the gold, the gold price in the 1970s was around 15 pounds per ounce, which is now up nearly 100-fold. And this reflects inflation, currency devaluation, current demand. A lot of experts and analysts out there believe that silver right now is at the same crossroads today that gold was at 50 years ago. Arguably, silver is even more compelling than gold right now, given industrial use for it, and the fact that there, there isn't really an alternative for silver within industry, compared to that of gold, where it's not really used within industry other than for jewelry purposes. Um, you know, consider its irreplaceable role in industries like um, solar panel, and electric vehicles and its historically low price in relation to gold, the smart money, the clients we're talking to, investment bankers, accountants, lawyers, you know, people that are running large hedge funds in the UK, they're locking up massive amounts of physical silver um, at the moment. The disappearance of silver from both LBMA and COMEX warehouses proves it proves it in its reality. And I, I think it's safe to say that they see a big opportunity here. Um, I believe we have, we've got the same information they do, um, and we can make the same sort of choice, um, if, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Wow, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to backtrack just a bit to address the, some of the COMEX versus LBMA questions I've had in the last week. Um, sure. Where, I mean, for everybody listening, just a quick, um, you know, a little bit about them. So if you're trading, you know, futures and uh, contracts, paper gold, I guess you'd use the COMEX. And the LBMA is where the spot price or the cash price, the physical delivery is. Right, Josh? Correct. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then. I've, you know, heard it from various corners. And then when I spoke to Nick and, you know, he had said there seems to be something up with deliveries. Um, you know, you want to tell us what you might have been seeing and hearing on that? Sure. So we, I mean, we operate from a retail uh, point of view. So we're dealing with customers and clients and everyday people as opposed to traders. And often is the case, you know, traders are able to manipulate markets to their gain. It doesn't necessarily represent um, 
their desire for safety or security. Um, during during the, the COVID lockdown, we know that the amount of silver being refined and mined um, reduced by about 50%. Um, we know that the mints around the world that specialize in converting um, raw silver into coinage, you know, tax advantageous coins, um, their production capability dropped considerably to the point where, you know, we are given the smallest allocation of silver products from various mints around the world, and it's never enough to satisfy demand. Um, because, because physical silver, in fact, because any metal is finite in its supply, essentially it's it's its appeal is that you can't just create it you can't just print you know more metal however within the paper market of course that's completely possible and you know governments and institutions are able to widen their balance sheet by printing silver that isn't necessarily there not backed by anything and so what I believe is happening and, you know, based on a lot of the conversations that we're having with our clients who work within the financial services industry, that work within the financial services arena, are saying to us that, I, you know, we don't believe that there is enough metal backing these certificates. We don't believe that delivery will necessarily take place. Now, when you get to that point where delivery doesn't take place, that's when that divergence occurs that's where you see a big difference between the value of paper and the value of physical at that point it then becomes more expensive to hold physical because you can't find it because all of the short positions all the people that are holding paper that need to basically move physical and underlying metal in the background they're not able to find it and so i think at the moment at the moment there seems to be a case of mistrust within the markets people are not willing to believe that their paper is backed by anything um, unless it's capable of being delivered and because a lot of these futures you know haven't been capable of being delivered and because a lot of the vaults have been emptied this is is kind of this illustrates the point that more and more people are wanting to take delivery on the retail side um, and on the institutional side, as opposed to holding pieces of paper. So when you speak to your clients, what percentage roughly would, you know, this split be between paper and uh, physical? Well, if, we, if we're talking to our financial service related clients, um, so our clients that have money in, you know, mutual funds and bonds um, and, um, and, and funds, the trend has been a growing favor towards physical. So my answer is going to be biased because most of our clients that come to us want physical. Um, in, they want physical and they don't want paper. And so I would say that a good 95% or clients that hold silver are holding around 95% physical as opposed to 5% paper. And if they're holding 5% paper, it's because they want exposure. They want exposure to the metal um, and they're looking for some sort of short-term gain. 
But what they're not getting is they're not getting the safety and the security aspect of owning something that is physical and something that is tangible. They're not, they're also not, they're not also getting the tax advantages from owning certain types of physical gold coins, sorry, physical silver uh, coins. And so a lot of our clients and a lot of, a lot of the people that come to us to ask us the difference between paper and physical, once explained in the right way, the conversion rate is extremely, extremely high. Most people can't see many reasons for holding paper if they've got the same exposure to silver in the physical product, they've got far more protection and they've got tax advantages if they're holding physical. That's interesting. And, you know, I can see, I mean, I see your bias, but then then equally, I, I wanted to ask about the interest in pensions and kind of rolling over pensions into metals and holding it that way as well, you know, with physical. Are you seeing more of an interest there? We've seen a huge interest there. Um, I would say that over the last four weeks, we've seen a 420% increase in people <laughs> remove. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. That's crazy. It's, it's, it's been huge. 420% increase in people removing exposure to equities, cash, um, mutual funds within their pensions and SIPs to take refuge in physical contrarian asset classes like physical gold. Now, unfortunately, in the UK, it's not possible yet to back physical, to back pensions with physical silver. So right now, the only metal, the only contrarian asset that you can use to back your pension or your SIP is physical gold bullion bars. And we've seen a massive increase in, in, um, in people doing that because look quite frankly as i was saying before when we were talking about the s p 500 and the fact that we've seen a 20 percent fall in the value of equities some of our clients you know that that, that are kind of a nearing retirement age the the you know that they're having to extend the years that they're having to work because of the imminent you know the imminent downturn that we're facing and so because because the fall in equities and the risk in the bond market and the fact that, you know, having your money in cash is a guaranteed loss of purchasing power, rather than taking this dance of, you know, one step forward and one step back, because we all know that at some point the equity market will recover like it always does. But, you know, the one thing we don't have on our time, the one thing we don't have on our side is, is time. You know, we're all getting older. And some of us can't wait until we're 90 for the equity markets to recover. And so when you look at the, the, the smart money flow index, um, you can see that institutions, um, the banks, the hedge funds, they're not playing the same game that individual investors have been conditioned to follow. They're not playing the same game of one step forward, one step back. You know, they're of the opinion that they can move, you know, they can move two steps forward move sideways and then move another two steps forward. And the idea is that there will be a huge amount of opportunity in the equity market, in the property market, and various undervalued asset classes, companies, and sectors. But we're not there yet. 
you know, we might see that in a year or two years or three years. You know, it's going to be a rough ride, but there will be opportunity at the and, and there will be light at the end of the tunnel. The question is, do we sit there and allow this huge roller coaster to, you know, to, to drop the value of our pensions for it to bring it back up again? Or do we move sideways and use a contrarian asset class that has a track record of increasing during every single recession or depression that we've seen throughout mankind? And not only are we able to, and this is the objective, preserve wealth whilst that's happening, but if we are lucky enough to grow wealth and then convert those gains into assets that are undervalued because of you know, a fall in the equity market or the value of various equities or asset classes, then in a way you can play the same game as the smart money. You know, two steps forward, two steps forward, two steps forward. You can use the various cyclical markets to your advantage because it's markets like this that allow the wealthy to get wealthier. But if we sit there and do nothing, um, then it, in a way you kind of fall into that category of financial advisors that tell you, don't do anything right out the storm, the markets will come back again. They're not wrong, but you know, who has the time to sit there and wait for the markets to come back again when there's a way of avoiding it? Wow. Um... Very interesting. Um, are you are you anticipating then further increase? You know, within those pensions, <laughs> continuing to interest. The the one issue we have at the moment is we are we're receiving more inquiries than we can handle, and we are you know we're doing our best to handle every single one of them. Um, I think people's people's underlying motivation, underlying motivations are, are twofold. The first is, you know, move quick enough to remove exposure to asset classes that might drop the value of people's retirements by 10% or 15%, right? You know, that's the first part. The second part is being able to secure, being able to secure the value of your pension and putting it into gold before it continues to increase. And so time isn't always on our side. Because, you know, by waiting, sometimes we see the value of the markets fall and the value of gold increase. Um, do I see it increasing? I think I'd have to answer that with, I think things are going to get worse before they get better, unfortunately. And I think, I, I think the, 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 the population is under no illusion um, that, that, you know, things are okay. Most people believe that things are going to get worse. Um, you know, five or six years ago, most conversations would be diversified. You know, even if, even if, um, even if things were bad, you know, various people would be optimistic about the future or they would feel that actually there was value in an in, in already peaking equity market, right? There would be a divergence of opinion at the moment, it seems to be the case that everyone is on the same page in terms of threats, in terms of risks, in terms of imminent and looming recession. And so to answer your question, yes, I think it's going to get we're, we're, we're continuing to get busier with regards to requests for people to move over their pension. 
And I think the, the, re the reason for it is, is that it's so easy to do. We have, we have lots of clients that have, you know, five or six random pensions that are kind of exposed to a variety of different asset classes. They don't even know the value of it. All they know is that they're exposed to kind of current and future losses. And so, you know, even kind of general housekeeping um, would allow you to consolidate all of that. Um, and regardless of whether or not you're putting that into gold or, or anything else, by avoiding five sets of charges and fees, you're already saving yourself money. Um, but yes, we are, we're, we're seeing a huge amount of demand for people um, looking to protect their pensions with physical gold bullion bars. And would there be any value in liquidating or taking a hit or uh, closing out what you could so that you could hedge and save with both gold and silver? And at which point that would just physical silver bars or coins, excuse me, for the tax cut. Sorry, what, what, what's your question, Jennifer? Yeah, I probably said that wrong. So I'm like, because <laughs> I was, I had, I had, I did not know uh, that you could only, you know, convert a pension over to gold bars, right? So, yeah. and because of the potential gains with silver and, you know, the ability to outperform, um, you know, in, in, for all the reasons you just mentioned, would there be any value then to, you know, uh, maybe take a hit on, on uh, you know, cashing out an ISO or, a SIP or turning out some of the pension, you know, or getting a, a, you know, pot of cash to then use to buy uh, silver coins? Okay, so I, I understand your question. Um, you know, is there a way in which people can take advantage of physical silver if they've got pensions and if they've got ISAs, despite the fact that they might pay a, a charge or a penalty or a loss for doing so? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, and, and the answer is there's a variety of ways. I think, first of all, ISAs, very, very straightforward. You know, in our country, ISAs, they're designed to provide you with a tax-free environment in which you can grow your money. Um, but there are caps. You can only put in a certain amount every single year. Um, and I believe on account of refined budgets moving forward, they'll probably change that. They may well reduce it. And so, you know, ex withdrawing from an ISA is, is really simple and straightforward. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, so we can't we can't recommend to clients to do it or not do it. What we can say, however, is that purchasing physical gold tax-free coins or physical silver tax-free coins is essentially the same as an ISA because you enjoy exactly the same tax-free status in terms of growth as you would do an ISA. The main underlying difference are the positives in that there are no restrictions. We've had clients put in millions into tax-free gold or tax-free silver. Um, there's no counterparty risk. You're not having to entrust it to an institution um, in terms of safeguarding your, your, your assets. Um, and at the same time, you can convert that into cash whenever you need to. So ISAs are straightforward. When it comes to pensions, the opportunity that we see is that when you become, when you get to pensionable age, you can take what is referred to as a tax-free lump sum. 
um, which I believe is around 25% of the overall fund value. Um, and you can take that free of any tax and you can take that in cash. You can then use that cash to put into any asset class that you want to. So that might be an opportunity for people that are, 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 are getting to pensionable age. I believe that when you get to 55 years of age, that option is then available to you. So you can take a 25% tax-free lump sum. You can use those funds to put into um, tax-free silver coins. And this way, not only are you kind of taking advantage of the pension rules, but you're using that cash to guarantee a way of not losing to inflation and using it and putting it into something that will hedge you against inflation and will provide a hedge against kind of economic uncertainty. In terms of, in terms of other ways, I mean, within the UK, they are very, very strict in terms of what you can put your pension into. So I certainly wouldn't recommend, and I don't believe it would be possible to put pension money, uh, notwithstanding the tax-free lump sum, into physical silver because there are lots of fines and penalties and charges for you to do so and i i wouldn't recommend it it would be difficult to execute and i wouldn't i, I don't believe any sip provider will accommodate that but there are ways that you can do it um, that fulfill the spirit and the letter of the law um, which which i just outlined before what we normally suggest for clients to do is if there is an inclination right and 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 if if there is an inclination to protect, to preserve, to retire at a reasonable age, and you have, uh, you have vehicles out there, it might be a pension, it might be a SAS, it might be a SIP, it might be um, money with, with money sitting within a company, you might be a contractor, you might be a family office, get in touch with us, book in a consultation, um, and you know, through speaking and through us providing knowledge and understanding a little bit more about your circumstances, we're then able to kind of provide guidance because there are so many different scenarios that would result in us being in a completely different situation. So, you know, we can't work miracles, but every circumstance is, is different. And if we can see an angle that would allow you to take advantage in a compliant way, then we can give you an insight into, in, into how other clients have done exactly that. Josh, do you have a minimum investment when coming to book in a consultation with you guys? So when you're, when, you're, when you're purchasing gold within a pension, the minimum is normally set by the SIP providers, not by us. So the minimum is £20,000, and that's if you're doing anything within a pension. If you're doing anything outside a pension, then as far as we're concerned, there's no minimum. And actually, I feel like it doesn't cost money to speak to us for anyone. And so, you know, knowledge is absolutely key to making any sort of a decision. We have clients purchasing anywhere from a thousand pounds to other clients that are purchasing north of a million to, to two million. So there's a there's there's a there's a there's a wide disparity and there's a wide range between those two amounts. Um, you know, people invest for different reasons. People have very different sets of circumstances. 
Um, but, you know, someone that has lots of money um, that they're looking to protect are, are ordinarily protecting it for the same reason than someone that has less money that they're willing to protect or to preserve. So what I, to, to answer your question, there is no minimum amount for, for anyone to book a consultation with us. That's really important. Um, but in order for anyone to take advantage of physical gold within a SIP or a pension, then yes, the minimum amount would be 20,000. Thank you for clarifying that. And then sometimes it's asked on the channel regarding small business. So can small business also uh, hold savings and you know potential business reserves in these silver metals? And it doesn't work any differently than buying uh, for residential purposes? That's a really good question, and, and, and it's a question that we get asked a lot. Some people don't think to answer the question until we mention it, you know, whilst we're having a consultation. And so, you know, people either have companies that are set up as contractors, i.e., you know, they're the only person within their company, and it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a more tax-efficient way of being able to earn money and decide to pay that tax when you decide to draw it. Um, and, and we have lots of clients who have money sitting within, um, within company business bank accounts, earning a laughable amount of interest and clearly exposed to counterparty risk. And if they, if they have an inclination to put that into physical metal as a solution to future uncertainty, by, by taking a dividend, you know, they're having to pay anywhere from 20 to 40 percent in order to access that money to put into metal and so yes the company can instead choose to put that into metal itself as opposed to drawing the dividend so essentially it would be the company's asset um, but for a lot of our you know for, for a lot of our families that purchase physical gold their company and themselves are one and the same thing we also have different types of companies. So we have much larger institutions. We had a, an IT company who generates lots and lots of money and they sit on um, a balance sheet of around three to three and a half million pounds worth of cash. And they're using that money to deploy and to acquire other, other, other businesses so they can grow rapidly um, across Europe. Um, they also wish to purchase real estate for their business and as investment opportunity moving forward. Their view is that there will be lots of opportunity within the IT space within the next year and a half to two years. And therefore they don't wanna prematurely buy a business um, when they might be able to buy a business that finds themselves in, <clears throat> in trouble in a year or year and a half. The same rhetoric is applied to property. You know, they're, they're very keen to purchase a big building in which they can house all of their staff and operate from. Um, but by waiting, um, they've got more to gain than, than to lose in terms of them paying rent at the moment. And so the question for them is, what do they, what do, they do with the money they've got sitting on their balance sheet? Um, and... Um, for them, it made sense for them. For, it, for them, it made sense to put north of two million pounds worth into physical gold and silver instead of having it sit um, in their business bank account. You know, losing pace to inflation and you know suffering kind of a potential counterparty risk in the face of 
you know, banks that are proverbially um, wobbly um, at, at the moment. And so, you know, for them, it was really important that they had the ability to convert that back into cash, you know, if and when they, they need it. That's really important. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. And what better way to hold that savings? Um, I remember last summer, there was a friend of mine, they had done really well on real estate and had about $5 million in cash. And I just told them if I had that, I would be locking that up in metals just to preserve what is ever left of our dying currency. Because um, <laughs> it was going to take them three years to build their house that they wanted, and they didn't know how to hold it. I mean, I definitely businesses, small businesses that want to expand and want to use that cash without threat of counterparty risk, um, absolutely preserving with metals as a, as a better hedge. Um, listen, I, I love speaking to you. I, you know, I think you've done such a, a really <laughs> amazing presentation and, uh, you know, set it, set like the tone on this call. I wanted to open the, the floor up if anybody wanted to ask questions. Uh, now is the time, you know, if you want to raise your hand or ask Josh specifically. Um, but in the interim, as we kind of wait for people to uh, raise their hand or, or ask the question, I wanted to ask you, um, what do you think about junk silver and, and people, you know, acquiring cutlery and sterling in all the roundabout of ways? Um, do you encourage that or you stick to the coins for tax purposes? Well, look, what we do is is <clears throat> is coins and, and bars, because for us, it's it's a lot easier to guarantee the authenticity of what we're selling, because it's either come from the Royal Mint or it's come from the US Mint, the Canadian Mint, or it's come from various refineries around the world, Horasis, um, Credit Suisse um, and various others. Um, whilst I see the benefit of buying cutlery, um, and junk silver, because effectively you're able to buy that in at a discount. You don't always know what you're buying. You don't know the purity. You don't know the weight. You don't know, um, you know, you're, in order for you to convert that into something that you might be able to sell, um, you, you've, got to, you, you've got to look at the market which is, is, is available to buy that jewelry or to buy that junk. And so for us, the biggest common denominator, the largest possible market is, 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 is for people that want to buy, uh, in this country anyway, UK tax-free silver coins or, you know, silver bars because they're easily tradable. Um, you can sell them as quickly as you're able to buy them. Whereas, you know, having junk silver, people take a view on, well, I don't, I don't really want to buy a bag of uh, junk forks and knives that are, are tarnished and I'm not 100% convinced as to its authenticity. That being said, you know, those that have the noose and the inclination and the ability to assess its purity, then I would say it's a really good way of being able to acquire silver cheaply. But just remember, you know, sometimes it's a false economy. Sometimes being able to acquire something cheaply is because, you know, there aren't a huge amount of other people out there that want to buy that metal. And so 
you, you've got to be prepared to struggle to sell that metal when you need to, or convert it into something that is going to be a lot easier to sell, i.e. kind of refine it and then melt it into a silver bar that is easier to sell. Um, and that has a cost implication to it as well, which may well negate the cost at which you bought the silver in the first place, which might end up with you thinking, well, I should have just bought a silver bar or a silver coin um, so that I can so that I could sell it um, easily on. Um, the other the other point worth noting is that if we accept that silver should be trading at around a hundred dollars an ounce, given where the ratio suggests the gold, the silver price should be, then any any investment in silver is looking at a really healthy increase in its value. Um, nothing worse than having to pay twenty eight percent in capital gains tax um, to um, you know off. Of the gain that you make, and so, you know, even if we accept that purchasing tax-free silver may well be marginally more expensive than purchasing a silver bar or silver junk, when it comes to liquidating in two, three, five, six years, if you're able to offset that twenty-eight percent straight away, whereby it doesn't apply to you, not only is that a tax advantage in itself. But you've got a much longer line of people wanting to buy the asset that has tax advantages as opposed to the asset that doesn't. And so there are lots of things that one has to think about when buying something um, and wanting to extract as much value from it as possible when looking to sell. Just quickly, just a very, very quick circle back to the small business um, uh, and, and that kind of side with with the gold and silver, would it come under the annual investment allowance or is there something else we need to be looking at on that kind of side of it? No, because it's essentially, it, it depends on how you account for it. Um, any business is, is allowed to make an investment in, 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 in any asset class, in, in any company or sector. And so there are various ways in which you can account for it. But I believe that's an accounting question, probably better answered by, by an accountant. Um, <laughs> what I can tell you is we've seen clients purchase, you know, north of seven, eight, nine, ten million pounds in company accounts that if they were kind of restricted by annual investment um, amounts, um, it didn't seem to hamper them. So I believe it was probably accounted for in a very, very different way. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> That's a good, great question. Um, sorry, I got knocked off there. Uh, I wanted to ask for those that always ask me or exclaim how gold is too expensive. Um, you know, they can if they have a couple grand, then they can just buy one gold or, you know, more silver. And I'm curious of your thoughts of like, would you recommend buying silver, um, you know, that would then the intention of possibly being able to trade into gold? Is it easier to do that? Or would you still rec you know, recommend maybe fractional gold with some silver? That's a really good question. Um, and it's a question that we get asked a lot, um, especially at the moment, especially given that 
you know, there are, there's more people with less money given the cost of living crisis. The gold price has increased and so has the, uh, so has the silver price. But of course, the silver price per ounce is considerably cheaper. And so it's possible to do either, i.e. you can buy silver um, and enjoy any kind of short term uplift in the silver price and then convert into gold or vice versa. Um, I think the relationship that silver has with gold, and I think I referred to this before, is that silver's referred to as gold's volatile cousin or, or volatile sister. And so when we see the gold price increase by two or three percent, we see the silver price increase by a lot more. When we see the gold price fall by two or three percent, we tend to see the silver price decrease by a lot more. And so, you know, if we are confident that in the face of adversity and uncertainty, the gold price will continue increasing, um, similar to what a lot of the, uh, similar to what a lot of the experts believe will happen to the gold price, then speculatively, there should be more upside for silver than for gold. The issue is that obviously, whatever goes up will eventually, you know, come down um, momentarily or periodically, um, and 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 whatever is low should also go up and therefore it's important i believe to have a diversified portfolio between both metals and you know even if you have a small amount of money or or a or a, or a modest amount of money or you decide that actually you only want to put in a small a small amount of money into physical metal there's no reason why you can't take advantage of a split of fractional gold and one ounce silver coins or silver bars. Um, but to answer your question, the beauty of having physical metal is that it's as liquid as any of the money that you've got sitting in your bank account. The difference being is that you're not exposed to um, counterparty risk. You know, you are the holder of your own destiny. You're the holder of your own fate. Um, you're not you're not guaranteeing a loss of, of purchasing power because you have a chance that you can outperform inflation, which is what gold and silver have done over you know, the centuries uh, before us. Um, but if you need to either convert your gold into cash or into silver and or your silver into gold or into cash, then it's as easy to do that as it was to buy it. And you know, the reason why people have purchased gold and silver um, for centuries before us is because it's, as I was saying before, it's a universal form of currency. And so, you know, back in the day, before we even had currency and people, you know, in, 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 in the absence of a skill or, or, or a discipline, they would use gold and silver to trade or barter for goods and services. So look, there are some people that believe we might find ourselves in a, to find ourselves in a similar situation again, where we might use kind of an ounce of silver to buy something of equal value. There's no reason why you can't do that. It might not be that practical because the thing that you're buying might be more or less expensive than the money you've got, but it's possible. But you know, to answer your question, lots of our clients and lots of the market are either converting gains they've made in gold to take advantage of the fact that silver is massively undervalued and at points where we've seen 
you know, and we, we over the last six months, we've seen in US dollar terms a 28% increase in the silver price. And so whilst I wouldn't recommend short term trading, you know, we have seen various clients trade out of one metal and take advantage of another. So if, for example, the silver, the, 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 the silver price has gone up by 28%, but gold has remained pretty much flat, and we see a lot of central banks stockpiling gold and removing exposure to dollars, and we see you know, the possibility of the gold price increasing over the short term, then there may well be an opportunity to take, to convert some of the gains from the silver portfolio and to take advantage in an undervalued gold portfolio. Sometimes it can cost to try and be too clever though. And so what I would say, and for me, I, 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 I crave simplicity. Um, and so if I'm looking to take 50,000 pounds or 100,000 pounds off the table in terms of risk, I will then decide my diversification between gold and silver and I'll, I'll assess it in four or five years time. It's very difficult to go into it with a plan, but to anticipate that things might change for your benefit is definitely worth taking advantage of. Okay. Um, for, for those that are just starting out, you know, this, uh, hopefully this is adding value. Um, and, you know, more or less inspiring to kind of look into acquiring. Um, tell us a little bit about the Pure Gold relationship, uh, the Pure Gold company relationship with the Mint and why that's important. Uh, and Howard has a question as well. So the, the Royal Mint, <clears throat> the only organization who are allowed to create UK gold coins um, anywhere in the world. So they, they create currency in our country as we know it. And we're an authorized distributor for the Royal Mint, us and I think probably four or five other um, companies. Um, and, and so we've been working with the Royal Mint for many years. Um, it, it's got to a point where, and I, I feel for the Royal Mint because they are driven crazy they can only supply in as much as they're able to produce and so we're given very very tight quotas in terms of in terms of allocation um so for every month we're given a, we're given a relatively small allocation of silver a relatively small allocation of gold when i say relative i mean relative to demand present and future um, we are able to source gold from, you know, other mints and other refiners. And, you know, we, what we do find, and I think this supports the fact that gold and silver are finite in their supply, is that it often becomes a race between can we find enough metal to sell? Obviously, we would never sell more than we're able to find, but it's, it's tricky. Um, especially during the silver squeeze of of um, of, of last year, um, being able to obtain enough silver for delivery was really really difficult. So for us to turn away clients because we can't get our hands on enough physical stock is 
is it's a it's a difficult conversation to have. Premiums went up for us. Um, we didn't even have a, an opportunity to pass on those premiums to clients because we weren't able to get enough stock to sell on. The consensus at the moment is that given that a lot of metal has been extracted from COMEX and the LBMA, this is indicative of retail demand, people wanting physical metal coins and bars as opposed to pieces of paper. And there is there is consensus around the fact that we're going to see, you know, more of a squeeze moving forward as people are scrambling to get their hands on enough um, silver uh, availability. So you see it definitely becoming more and more of an issue um, because a lot of people still go to their, their dealers or look online, JM Bullion, AppMex, you know, all the big ones. And even though they might get an email from Atkinson to buy back, there's still silver to buy. But you think this will dry up quickly? I think when we saw the silver squeeze, that happened within three days. The stocks, were, the shells were full, and then all of a sudden, they were empty. So what you can't see when when buying from companies is how deep their inventories are, and you know what their production lines are looking at, looking like for the next kind of two to three months or so. Um, we can give you that insight because we get it straight from the raw mint. Allocations are extremely, extremely tight. If you have a look at a lot of these other websites, what you can see is that premiums are increasing. Premiums increasing are normally indicative of a, constra of a, of a constraint of, of supply. Um, now we rely on clients selling back to us and um, unfortunately, not enough clients are selling because they appreciate that the gold, the silver price is way too undervalued um, in order to sell. That being said, you get, you know, we, we've had clients that have been holding on to their silver for three or four or five years um, and who have, you know, doubled their portfolio. Um, and they're looking to retire and they have different objectives other than just money and, and wealth. It, for them, it's about being able to enjoy their retirement and having that extra growth, having that extra 100% within their portfolio converted into cash will allow them to buy that beachside property they've always wanted to purchase or to go traveling around the world. And so we do have clients selling you know, on a weekly basis that, that, that kind of gives us the opportunity to sell what a lot of other companies don't have to sell or at a reasonable price. Very interesting. Howard, did you have a question? Um, I have a question. I wasn't clear. You know, I've, I've done a lot of research on this as well. And um, when you were talking about switching between gold and silver, there are premiums involved, aren't there? Especially with silver. So it costs you quite a lot if you say, okay, my gold's gone up and I'm going to switch out of that and back into the silver, from my Correct. experience. So it, first of all, it depends on what you're buying and it depends on which way you're doing it. So it wouldn't be a very cost-effective route to, to trade from silver to gold because premiums are generally more expensive in silver um, than in, in gold. That being said, 
buyback prices for silver have increased considerably as supply has become more and more difficult to um, obtain. And you know, if clients, for example, have you know purchased gold at a relatively low premium and have experienced a considerable gain relative to that premium, then their choices may well be, well, I can either sit in gold, I can sell and convert back into cash, or I can convert into silver and take advantage of that market. What I wasn't, what I wasn't suggesting anyone do is trade in and out of each metal because it's not, it's not a cost-effective way of exposing yourself to either market. Um, which is why I said simplicity is key. Yeah. You know, you either take advantage of one market, you diversify, knowing that you have options moving forward. But I wouldn't go into it thinking, well, I'm going to take advantage of silver and then I'm going to convert into gold and then I'm going to convert back into silver again because effectively, you know, the premiums will eat away at whatever growth that you make. It's just not really a worthwhile exercise. But knowing that you have that flexibility, of converting from one asset class to another um, is something that a lot of our clients see as an advantage. Okay. And where would you store that, the uh, gold or the silver? So we use Loomis. Um, they're a London bullion market approved vault. We, we, we have various facilities in the UK, in Frankfurt, in Switzerland. Um, and we also use Brinks as well. I did some research on this. I think it's important to do, do uh, due diligence. And what I found, because I was looking into the, exactly this, and uh, what I found was, I thought to myself, well, who owns Brinks? Um, and I found, the first thing I found that who owns Brinks was I found that Vanguard owned Brinks. And I thought, well, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> just, a, just a feeling I have about Vanguard. Yes, I understand. Well, we, we, we use Brinks for logistics. We use Loomis for storage. Okay. Everything that is stored in either Loomis or Brinks, so some of the stuff that we store in Brinks that it, that, that, that's ready to be dispatched or fulfilled for logistics is audited both internally and externally at our request and fully insured by the Lloyds of London. So, in fact, it was only it was only last week that members of our team went down to Loomis to do a full audit as a part of our financial um, auditing obligations. Um, so your concern as is, is as deep as as ours, given, you know, this is what we do and, you know, we have to practice what we preach. So we need to ensure that, you know, we separate church from state and that everything is fully audited. Um, in terms of what is being stored where it needs to. We, we have clients from time to time because we, we, you know, clients will ask for an audit of their storage account and Loomis can provide that. Um, it can then be externally audited. It can also be released and delivered to clients within a relatively short period. Um, and once received, either sent back to Loomis or stored within a storage provider of, of, of your choosing. So, you know, clients sometimes prefer to have it in a safety deposit box just because it sits on their local high street or around the corner, or, you know, the very fact that they've taken delivery, they've inspected it, 
um, gives them the comfort to kind of send it back to Loomis and stored within their vault. Loomis, might I add, is a public um, company. Um, they're a member of the London Bullion Market Association, for whatever that's worth. Um, so, you know, because they're dealing on a retail level, there's far more that can go wrong than on the institutional level. You've got far more voices and far more emotions. So whilst I believe there is certainly manipulation on a retail level, um, there is a lot more regulation and institutional govern governance insofar as Loomis are concerned. And so that's why we've always used Loomis for storage. They're an LBMA approved um, member. Um, we are able to audit them both internally and externally by either Grant Thornton or KPMG. Um, and we're also able to send members of our own team down there to do various spot checks as of when we, we, we feel we need to. Perfect. Well, are, is there any last questions? Tim, did you want to ask? I keep seeing him out with his hand raised. I don't know. Um, but we're going to, because our time's almost out. Any last words, Josh, you wanted to add? Um, well, what I would add is if there is an inclination to find out a little bit more, um, then visit our website um, at the puregoldcompany.co.uk. Um, download an investor guide. Um, if you feel comfortable booking a consultation, knowledge is key and power. Um, and it doesn't cost you anything for you to download our free guide or for you to have a consultation with one of our brokers to find out a little bit more about what I've been talking about today. I'll drop the links in our thread um, per, from before you guys. And, um, you know, so you can have it. And then I'll, I'll send everybody's Nick's email again if you want to talk directly to the company. Um, but thank you, Josh, so much for your time today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for making time to be on here. It's a fascinating conversation. I think you covered most of my questions. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for having me on here. And um, I look forward to speaking to you in the future. Sounds good. Thank you. And thank you, Vicki, um, for recording and editing. All right, guys, stay tuned for the Podbean. And um, let us know if you have any further questions on silver. Have a great day, everyone.